Take your Bibles, turn with me to John 12. It is what we call the Easter season and uh, Palm Sunday leading into the Passover. And so I want to kind of cover uh, two things in one message. Continuing the discipleship series that I've been focused on the last number of weeks, Jesus being Lord and what it means to to be a, a true disciple of him, making him preeminent in everything that we say and do. And then secondly, to, to pick up on the theme of, of uh, Palm Sunday and this sacred time of the year. And so John chapter 12, and I'm, I'm going to read uh, a significant part of the text for you this morning. And so John chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, obviously post-resurrection, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. So previous to this, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany, and of course, that had become huge news uh, throughout the area. Now we're heading into their festival season. The crowds have been gathering from all over, literally, the Roman Empire. So there's literally thousands upon thousands of people. And Jesus has kind of become a celebrity. There have been all kinds of things that have happened previous to this in his three years or so of ministry. But raising Lazarus from the dead... Um, was so indisputable, so irrefutable. There were so many witnesses to it that it had really brought Jesus to celebrity status. Uh, they were coming to see Lazarus because they wanted to see this dead guy that had been raised, and they wanted to see the guy that had done all of this. So again, uh, verse 17, now that the crowd was with him when he called Lazarus from uh, the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So the religious leaders of that day are not very happy with the popularity of Jesus. And they're already in cahoots, if I can use the technical word, in cahoots to do something terrible to him. Verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, and anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me... Here's the discipleship aspect. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. 
Jesus continuing to speak. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said that it thundered, and others said that an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of the world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up, speaking about the crucifixion, of course, from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And the crowd spoke up, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. And even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. And this was to fulfill the word of, the, uh, of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah has said elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet, at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, because, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as light, that no one who believes in me should stay in the darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that this command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me. It's an interesting passage. I say that because it's easy to overlook it because it's the week before, more or less, before Jesus is arrested and crucified and, of course, resurrected. And the shift, you would think, would go to that, and it should and it will, Friday and Sunday in the week to come. But it's interesting to see what happened before the event, as we speak of it, or the events, the crucifixion and the resurrection. We see that we're at a time when Jesus' popularity has, has basically reached its apex. The resurrection from Lazarus, from the dead, has solidified him in those regions as a celebrity. 
The disciples aren't exactly sure what's going on. They haven't made all of the linkage that's clearly stated to us that it wasn't until after Jesus was glorified that they sorted out some of the, the details as to the prophetic word back in the old days from prophets like Isaiah that, that spoke to all of the happenings of this week. And of course, the bigger picture of being the one who would die for the sins of the world. And so Jesus is at the peak of his popularity. There's all kinds of people that want to see him. There's all kinds of people that want to see Lazarus. And they're fascinated by him. Jesus messes them up a little bit by talking about being lifted up. And they understand what lifted up means. They understand that this is a term that refers to his death. And so it confuses them because they don't see their Messiah as someone who can die. They don't really see this, this coming king, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as someone who is going to die. They see him as someone who is going to liberate the nation of Israel. That's what they see here. They see a healer and they see a liberator and they're waiting for Jesus to liberate them from the bondage of Rome. They're not waiting to be liberated from their sins. And so when Jesus begins to teach about his purpose and coming, th that messes them up a little bit. And you see here in the writings here that are found in, in the Gospel of John, particularly uh, chapter 12, that the writer begins to categorize the people within the crowd as a whole. And you will see in, in John chapter 12, verse 9. Let me read that for you. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the first group, the first crowd of people are those that have gathered around because something really neat has happened. Someone's been raised from the dead, and as I said before, it's irrefutable and it's indisputable. People want to see Lazarus. What does it look like to see someone who has been raised from the dead? That's a novelty. Uh, to these folks... Uh, they've read it in what we would call uh, our Old Testament. Uh, they know that stuff like that has happened in their history, but they certainly haven't seen or heard anything like that that's happened in the last, you know, half a millennia or so. And so Lazarus has been raised from the dead, Jesus is in the area, and they go to see the celebrity. We can understand that a little bit in our day and age. Um, Media makes celebrities of all different kinds of people, and some of those people may not exactly be your cup of tea. But whether it's a musician, or it's an actor, or an actress, or a politician, or whomever it might be, um, if they've got some kind of brand, if they've got some kind of name, it's not difficult for those kinds of people uh, to fill a stadium, or to fill a room, so to speak. People will come just to see what they look like. For those of you that follow golf, the Masters Tournament is on today. It's one of golf's biggest things. And I remember when my son and I were in the States a number of years ago, 
and we had watched or followed Tiger Woods on, on TV back in those days, but we were actually at a tournament in, in the Orlando area that he was at, and I remember when he walked by us. Now, this is before all the scandals and all the stuff that we know about now, and uh, I mean, there was a buzz that this guy was just kind of walking by going from, you know, the green to the next tee box, and I remember being in the area, and you could just see that people were were lighting up, and this was, you know, before really the cell phones and stuff like that came into being like it is these days. Uh, you may have been at a concert of a favorite musician of yours where, you know, 10 or 15 or 20,000 people have showed up to hear this person or that group sing, or maybe you've been at a political rally of someone that's got a lot of charisma, and you can just see people just kind of change into different people because they see they see them, and they see them as stars. And so that's what's going on here. Jesus and Lazarus are stars. They've got, in a sense, their 15 minutes of fame. And some people have gathered just to see them. And they're going to go home, and they're going to say, you know what, I saw Lazarus today. I saw Jesus today. It really isn't going to change their life. They're not looking to be changed. They, they just want to be part of the crowd and part of the buzz, and they want to see what's going on, and then they're going to go home, and they're going to talk about it for a while. And, you know, somewhere down the road, you know, they may bring it up again and talk about the glory days, but, you know, they've seen their guys. If you continue to read on in John chapter 12, verse 21, it talks about another group, the Greeks. It, it doesn't give a whole lot of details, but we understand this. They've come for the festival, the Passover festival. The feast is, is coming up, and they're, they've gathered there. So they are Greeks that have converted to Judaism. They have proselytized, and they've left their pagan ways, and they are following the ways of the, the Jewish faith, and they understand that coming to Jerusalem for the Passover is one of the three you know, official festivals that the men need to show up to. So they've gathered there, and they too, somewhere in the buzz, I've heard about Jesus, and so they talk to Philip, you know, kind of their, their, their closest Greek guy, right? They're talking to their guy, and Philip goes and talks to Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip go, and they get Jesus, and they talk to Jesus, and it doesn't tell us really what was said there. The first crowd, we know, went because there's a buzz. They love the buzz. The second crowd had obviously heard something, these Greek fellows that are now, you know, worshiping Jehovah. But, but if you read there, it doesn't really say anything. It just says that they wanted to talk to Jesus. And so they, they talked to Jesus. But it doesn't give us any idea about the impact. We kind of have to guess, well, was there any impact? Or, or did they just talk to Jesus? And did they think like a lot of other people thought, well, you know, nice fellow. Speaks well, kind of quiet actually. Doesn't seem to be much fanfare about him. And then they go on to their festival and they maybe never think of it again. And then it speaks about a third group. And you can uh, keep on reading there. That there's this third group down in chapter 12. A, a little bit deeper into that. If you go all the way down to, let me just get this right here for you. 42. There's a group of Jewish people who are actually leaders in their synagogues. Back in those days, there was the temple worship, but then a lot of the towns, you know, outside of Jerusalem had synagogues. We would consider them these days like, you know, kind of Jewish churches, if I could use that expression. Gathering places uh, outside of the temple area. And so there was these Jewish leaders who had a lot of influence over their local meeting places, and many of them believed in Jesus, 
But because they were afraid of the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, them and the Sadducees, but especially as it came to the, the, the practice of religion, the Pharisees were the guys that kind of ran things in and around Jerusalem and ran things at the temple. And if you had the favor of the Pharisees, that would go very well for you. If you didn't have the favor of the Pharisees, that would not go very well for you. And so these, these guys were believing in Jesus. They, they believed that he was something. He was the Son of God or he was the Messiah. He, he was something. But they were also afraid at the same time that if they... If they spoke up or stepped out to follow Jesus, that the Pharisees would, would take away their authority in their synagogues, would take away their authority and their prestige and the power that came with that. And so it tells us there uh, that uh, verse 42, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. And then verse 43 tells us their motive because they love the favor of men more than the favor of God. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And they thought, well, if we come out too strong for Jesus, we know that the Pharisees aren't into Jesus, we're going to lose our position. So you have these three groups. The ones that come because of the spectacle. You've got others that seem to be curious about Jesus and they ask for a specific audience and that's granted to them. But we don't know the results of that. At least it seems like we don't know the results. I'll talk more about that in a minute. And then you've got the chief rulers who tells us clearly that they, they believed in him, but they would not publicly declare him because they thought they would lose their prestige in the temple area. So, there were those that loved the show. Lazarus raised from the dead. Undeniable. John eleven forty seven. 47. The Greeks, uncertain identity, they come to worship. We understand they're converts to Judaism. They're there for the feast. John 12 and 20 tells us all of that. But we have no decision from them. And then the chief rulers who believe that Jesus is who he said he was, but they're afraid to lose their temporal things, their position at the synagogue, and that because they love the praise of people more than men, they refuse to publicly declare him so why does the writer take us into these three groups of people I think the reason is this is because he wants to find us and he's wondering if, if those of us today those of us sitting in the pew fall into one of those categories or possibly there might be another category, wink, wink, nod, nod. So, the first group love the show. They were willing to hang around. They were willing to, quote, follow Jesus, or at least be in close proximity to him, as long as the miracles kept happening. As long as everything was, you know, kind of bells and whistles and stars and confetti and everybody was having a good time and everything was positive, they loved the roar of the crowd. They loved the feeling they got being around Jesus and those that admire him and those that were caught up in the spectacle of Lazarus. I mean, the good times were rolling there and they wanted to be a part of that. I think 
the gospel writer is telling us that they are, there are some people in the world then and today that are into Jesus as long as everything is going well. As long as there is a buzz, as long as we're having fun, as long as there's not too much work, it's not too strenuous, you know, as long as I'm kind of getting the spiritual goosebumps from all of the happening, I'm into Jesus. The second group I'm categorizing, this is just me, I'm categorizing as curious about him, but not willing to follow him. So they want to know. They want to know about his claims. They want to know about his credentials. They want to know what's happened. And, you know, is this guy legit? If these Greeks have converted to Judaism, and I mean, that's obviously stated in the text, they would have some pretty decent knowledge of Jewish history, and they should have some understanding of a Messiah that is to come. That's plain, not only in, in Isaiah that's mentioned here once in a while, but in other places of the scriptures as well. And they were probably trying to line up what they'd heard with, with what the scriptures spoke about. And because we don't get any record of a decision by these, these people, likely these men in, in John chapter 12, my thought is, is that they were unconvinced. There is nothing to suggest that they, they took up their cross and they followed Jesus. So they had the meeting, but unconvinced as to whether or not he was the Messiah. Uh, there's still people like that today. It's, it's, you know, it's 2,000 years later. It's, it's all kinds of millennia later, but there's still people that are curious about Jesus. And it's good. It's good that you're curious about Jesus because that's where the focus should be. The focus shouldn't be on, on the church or the, the, the different, you know, flavors of, of church that we offer from one denomination to another or from one church to another. The focus ought to be on Jesus. I, I think they at least asked the right questions here. They, they made their focus about Jesus. They wanted an audience with him, and Jesus was kind enough to do that for them. And they talked. We don't know if the conversation was two minutes or five minutes. We do know that what follows Jesus begins to declare himself as the one that's going to die. And, and he challenges everybody about discipleship. And I, and I think that's part of the issue here. If you continue to read on, he met with them in, in and around the mid part of the chapter, chapter 20. But if you keep, uh, pardon me, verse 20, but if you keep reading on, it, he, he talks about his death, about a colonel falling to the ground, about those hating their life, those gaining their life. And I think that's a direct response to the Greeks where they wouldn't commit to actually following Jesus. Now, I've been talking about following Jesus now for, for the better part of, of six weeks and what it really means to follow Jesus. Just in, in layperson's terms, uh, let me just lay it out for you today. It doesn't mean going to church. Lots of people who follow Jesus go to church, and you ought to. You should also understand that you are the church, that the church is just a building. But there's all kinds of people that don't mind going to church, going to a church service, but still haven't declared themselves as followers of Christ. 
And the reason being is there is no cost in going to church. Not here. Not in this country. There's all kinds of places there's a real cost. But not in this country. People in this country don't care if you go to church or not. And if you're not really into Jesus, but you're more into church and you like going to church and you like the people at the church and you like the things that go on at church, you know, that, that's, that's great. That's fun. Some of that might be, uh, you know, beneficial to you in some ways. It might even be fun in other ways. But Jesus isn't asking us to go to church and kind of hide out on Sunday morning for an hour and a half and then get on with the rest of the week like that didn't even happen. Jesus is asking us to follow him. I'll get into that in a minute, what it means to follow Christ. But I don't think the Greeks were interested in following him. And then there's this third group that believes, but they're afraid that they're going to lose status or position or approval of people. Now, this is where some of us who attend church but aren't following Jesus, this is where we might think it's the cost. Well, what if... What if the people at my workplace or what if the people in my family or what if the people at my school found out that I was a Christ follower? What would they think of me? Would they think that I was, you know, crazy? Uh, out of step, out of time? Um, would they think that, you know, maybe just not educated enough to, to follow religion and the fear of religion and the threats of religion? And so, like, you know, it's like, well, are you one of those people that really believe that all that stuff the Bible says is going to happen is going to happen? And we might be afraid to say, well, yeah, I am. So we just... We don't talk about it because we're afraid we're going to lose status with the friends and the peers and the family members that we gather around. That they may like us less or, or think us silly or foolish because we are Christ followers. And so this group of people believed, but because it would cost them their status and their position and their approval of people, the Bible tells us that because they love the praise of people, the popularity of people more than the praise of God, they never declared themselves. Pharisees find out about us. Oh boy, we're in trouble. So when you look at those three groups, I think the first thing you have to do is ask yourself is this. Do I fit in one of those groups? Am I just there because, you know, Jesus is popular and sometimes cool things happen in church and I want to be a part of that? Am I here because I'm curious? And curiosity is okay to a point, but sooner or later you have to weigh the facts, the information that you have, and you have to make a decision. So let me use, you know, a truism, a metaphor that's been used all too often, but I can't think of a better one. Sooner or later you got to get off the fence. Sooner or later, you have to declare. Jesus said this, if, if you won't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my father. We're too embarrassed to say I'm a Christ follower in here or at work or at school or in the family. Jesus says, well, if you won't confess me, I'm not going to confess you. And that last day when it, when it comes down to the end, I never knew you. Sooner or later, you've got to do something. With everything you've seen, everything you've experienced, everything you've learned, you've got to 
you've got to declare. And then the last group, of course, worried about what people think about them. It's, it's an old story, but it, it's, it's true of me. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe my story will relate. Uh, when I was in high school and, and, and most of my university time, I was not a Christ follower. And, and although I wasn't perhaps um, you know, the worst person on the planet, I certainly wasn't in the top 10 of the best people on the planet either. Fair enough. Maybe understating it just a little, right? Um, and about three or four years after I got saved and we'd started to pastor in a small northern town, uh, we had uh, an anniversary for a high school class. Back in those days, it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. It was the 10th. I hate to think of what anniversary it would be these days, but back in those days, it was the 10th. And I tell you, my friends got a charge out of finding out that I was a Pentecostal minister. You know, talk about falling into the Ripley's Believe It or Not thing, right? Because you know what it's like when you go to school. You know, so many of your friends, your peers, go to so many other different places. So when we had our class reunion back, our high school class reunion back, our grade 13 class reunion back, we had people fly from, literally, from British Columbia, Nova Scotia, all the way back uh, to Sudbury uh, to celebrate that. And we had lost touch with one another. And, you know, that wasn't the days of social media either. And so we had literally lost touch with one another. And it was great reconnecting with everybody. And some of them had started families by that time and found careers and those kinds of things. It was great. But it was, it was a huge charge that I was a minister. God's got a sense of humor, what can I tell you? But I never felt embarrassed by that. Maybe a little bit embarrassed by my past behavior, and they're kind of wondering, okay, Brent Horner, 1980? Brent Horner, 1980, you know, late 80s, a little different. But it was, it was great Great to be able to just talk a little bit about what God had done. If I'm not mistaken, they even asked me to say grace. Yeah. So which group are you in? Let's say you're a true Christ follower. And you're not in any of those groups. Well, here's, here's the last group then that you're in. Look at verses 25 and 26, because there is a fourth group embedded here. He or she that loves his or her life shall lose it. And he or she that hates his or her life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. Verse 26, if anyone should serve me, let him or her follow me. And where I am, there they shall be also. If anyone would serve, he, serve me, him or her will my father honor. There's a fourth group. It's not really directed like the rest. But it does tell us that there are those that are willing to commit to Jesus, regardless of the cost. Jesus makes it very clearly. You know what, if, if, if you want to keep your life uh, here, then you're going to lose it in eternity. If you're willing to give up your life here for my cause, should God call us to do that, then you will keep it for eternity. 
The idea here isn't so much that, you know, you have to die to live, or if you try to save yourself, you won't save yourself. The idea here is, is simply understood that committed Christ followers are willing to experience anything, go anywhere, do anything for, even to the point of giving up their life for Christ. It's possible that that could be your calling. But even if it's not our calling to actually give up our life, certainly the Bible here clearly directs us in verse 25 and 26 that following Jesus cannot be anything that would look anything like the three previous groups. In it for the buzz, curious but not committed, or finally, you know, believe but afraid to declare. Jesus basically says that all three groups, all three kinds of people are going to lose their life when it comes for eternity's sake. And Jesus says, I'm about to give up my life for all of you, and that calling could happen to you as well. Again, verse 26, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. Where I am. So when I was reading that on Friday, and believe it or not, I was actually working on this on Friday, overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. Way better view than my office, which I got to turn around to look at the parking lot. Where, I, it just kind of jumped out at me. And, and where I am, where I am, where I am. What did he mean, where I am? And this is what I, I derive from that. We must be willing to go to any place and enter any situation or circumstance that Jesus would be willing to do for the cause of the gospel. So where you are could be anywhere at any time. Comfortable and sometimes uncomfortable. We don't know where the wherever I am's will be all of the time. But we do know from this crowd of three groups of people that they would not be interested in that. They would not be interested in following Jesus to wherever he is, we're willing to go. Because where is he on his way to right now? Not just the upper room. Not just for a nice final meal with his disciples. He's on his way to the cross. Where I am. I'm willing to lay down your, my life for you. That's where I am. Would you be willing to lay down your life for the cause of the gospel should Jesus ask us of that? That then helps us to have a clear understanding of what God is asking for us or from us. And it allows us to measure our commitment or our relationship with Jesus right now. Would I be willing to go wherever he would go? Would I be willing to speak in his name? Would I be willing to declare myself as a Christ follower? Even if it got difficult, would I still be willing to be where he is and do the things that he does? That's what he's asking, folks. Again, what we're doing right now, this is easy. 
doesn't cost us anything, does it? I mean, if I'm particularly boring one Sunday, it might cost you a little bit. But at least that's not to the point of shedding blood. This is easy. This is not counting the cost of discipleship. It's about being willing to be wherever he is. Good times and bad times. When there's a buzz and when there's no buzz. To press beyond the intellectual questions, and there's nothing wrong with having intellectual, theological, good questions about who Christ is. Nothing wrong with that. I encourage that. But eventually you got to declare, I'm either with them or I'm not. You can't continue to say, I'm still in process. So I, I got to notice, uh, it's always nice to come back, right? You get a mitt full of mail. I, I got a notice from um, income tax, you know, saying, you know, we've assessed your thing and this is what we expect you to do now that we've assessed. So imagine, and we do have some federal employees in here. Imagine if I said to the Canada Revenue uh, Institution, I'm in process. I'll think about what you put on your letter. And um, I don't know, this year, next year, I'll get back to you. You know all those fake calls you get where this is Canada Revenue and the police and the Mounties are coming? All of a sudden, there's going to be one that's for real. Eventually, you have to make a decision. You have to follow through. And then the last one again, the popularity of people, right? The prestige and the position. It seems to happen time and time again in the Bible where people's pride, people think more of themselves than they do of God, more of themselves than they do of Jesus, their position more than anything else. And they are unwilling to declare because it might upset something in their particular world Monday to Saturday. So, this is not the cost. Are you willing to be wherever Jesus is? Let me just wrap it up. I realize our time is up this morning. So which group might you be in? Love it, lose it, give it away, keep it. Following means to serve for better or for worse. If you're married, you've heard that before. We're always hoping for the better, but there's always a little bit of... I don't know if it's the worst. Some of you said, like, wow, you're going to have to apologize later. The appraisal of people, pardon me, the approval of people, or the approval of God. If you lose your life here, if you're willing to lose your life here, you will gain it for all eternity. So, if you love this life, you're likely to lose it. If you're willing to give this life away, you're, you're going to keep it. Following doesn't mean coming to church. It means serving Jesus in the for better or for the worse situations, wherever he is. Jesus is not just a novelty. Jesus is not just a buzzword. Church is not just to be a positive or a good experience that occasionally gives us goosebumps. We are not looking for the appraisal of uh, the approval of people, but we are looking for the approval of God. God says those that will follow Jesus 
those are the ones that he will honor. Let's pray.